0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Vegas, Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two of the most exciting fighters in the history of the lightweight division are going to clash in the main event. And I have a feeling that uh, someone might be going to sleep on Saturday night in Vegas, Shaq.
1: 100% man, you got two top five guys. Dustin Poirier, the former interim champ, Dan Hooker, ever since he lost that Ever since ever since he lost to Edson Barboza, man, he's been on a roll with wins over Vic uh, Felder and who else did he beat in there again? Um, and Alaya Kenta. And he's got a win over the number one contender at welterweight in Gilbert Burns, a knockout win. So Dan Hooker, he earned this spot. And I'm excited to see what happens on Saturday night because the winner is right there back in title contention.
0: And it's an interesting spot for Poirier, man, because this is a guy who... Obviously, he's always been an incredible fighter. He's always been perennial top five. But the last couple of years, he picked it up to a different gear. And he even made it to that interim title spot and got the belt. And, you know, unfortunately, didn't get the unified belt against Habib. And now he's at that point where, historically speaking, fighters coming off the title losses that's when they begin the regression part of their career. But when you look at a guy like Dustin Poirier, he might be one of those few rare exceptions that can stay at the top despite taking that title loss uh, to Habib Shaq.
1: Yeah, and that comes with his mindset, man. This guy, you know, uh, has built himself back up after losses in the past. And, you know, like you said, sometimes that uh, can be a a little bit of a dreaded spot right there. Is the motivation still there? But we're going to find out on Saturday night.
0: And one thing we know for a fact about Hooker is, I mean, his last name says it all. Uh, This guy comes in there to bang, and uh, if you're not quite on your game against a guy like Dan Hooker, he can knock you out, he can choke you out, he can go the full five-round distance. So Dustin Poirier needs to be at his a game to not just win this fight but to dominate this fight and for dan hooker the biggest opportunity of his mixed martial arts career
1: yeah i mean hooker they kind of have similar stories in a way both former 45ers that moved up to 155 pounds and you know hooker he's done very well for himself he's very confident and uh this is a big opportunity, man. He's trying to achieve his dreams, and you know why not? Why not against a a, a one fifty five legend, a one forty five legend, and Dustin Poirier? You know,
0: absolutely. So. I definitely cannot wait to see what happens in the main event. So before we break down this whole car start to finish, got to let you know to check out our bets at bestfypicks.com. Use my promo code Dan25 for 25% off my bets. Use Shaq's promo code Shaq50 for 50% off his, or use our promo code 2020 for 20% off the VIPs. And Shaq, let's get right down to business, because first up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Jordan Griffin, he's 18-7, and seven, and Yusuf Zalal is 8-2. and two. Currently, they got Yusuf Zalal minus 125. The comeback on Jordan Griffin is plus 105. Well, Shaq, I know that Yusuf Zalal impressed a lot of people in his UFC debut, showed a really well-rounded MMA skill set. And if you compare that to some of his regional fights, the kid's definitely making big leaps every single time we see him. And with Jordan Griffin, I mean, this guy's a serious vet. And if you're not quite ready for him, he will choke you out. The question is... uh. Is Yusuf Zal ready to swim with uh, Jordan Griffin here on Saturday?
1: Man, yeah, this is a tough fight. You know, Jordan Griffin was finally able to get that uh, first UFC win with that win over TJ Brown, and, uh, his first two fights, he had some tough competition. Skelly, who was like 18 and 4, and then he had Dan Ige, who's doing his thing, top 10, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, uh, Griffin, he kind of has, you know, these mental lapses in the grappling. He's a submission over position guy. He likes to go for the guillotines and the dars chokes and uh, things along those uh, along those lines. And then you got uh, Yusuf Zalal, who, man, the one thing I like about these these little factory X guys, man, they all got good footwork, man. You know, him, uh, Gutierrez, Roy Vow, Uh I mean, these guys know how to move laterally around the cage and they're very hard to track down. So, uh, you know, when I see these guys match up, I definitely think the has got better footwork, you know, enough to frustrate Griffin and dance around the cage and, you know, maybe time a, a single leg here and there or a double leg and possibly capitalize on the on the mistakes uh, in the grappling at Griffin. But there's no denying that I do feel like Griffin is a little bit more experienced. I do feel like he's got slightly better boxing. It's just uh, Griffin, I mean, even his his win over TJ Brown, he was kind of losing the majority of that fight. But I also think it was one of those cases where TJ Brown came out so hell bent on the takedown that he just, Griffin was almost kind of letting him wear himself out. Uh, letting the kid gas himself out and, you know, looking to pick up the win in the late rounds. And that's exactly what he did. So, you know, I I feel like this is a 50-50 fight. I feel like Zalal projects out to be the better fighter. Uh, But right now, currently, man, I'm actually going to go with Griffin. I think he's slightly more experienced. I think he'll be a little bit more comfortable now that he got that weight off his shoulders of of that first UFC win. But I'm super impressed with Zalal. I wouldn't be shocked if he... uh, if he got the win here, I just think that Austin Lingo, uh, you know, I don't want to say he's a, a fraud or anything like that. But, when you know, when you look at Austin Lingo, he kind of really hadn't fought anybody. He uh, All his fights finished in like a minute or two, like a lot of these newcomers that we've been seeing in the UFC lately. And uh, I know Zalal was coming off two losses in his last three fights, but, you know, uh, the kid's super tough. He's never been finished. Uh, But I think that Austin Lingo was a little bit compromised that night, but I'm going to go with Griffin by a close, close decision in a back and forth fight, but it wouldn't shock me if it uh, went the other way.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I thought uh, we were actually going to disagree on this fight, but it turns out we agree, man, because look, Zalal is very, very talented. He's a well-rounded fighter. His footwork, like you mentioned, the side-to-side, the calf kicks, and also you start to grapple with a guy like him. He's got a nasty darts choke. His headlock series is really good, and he can mix in takedowns of his own, so he's a very well-rounded young uh, fighter, so I'm excited to see what the future holds for a guy like Yusuf Zalal. It's just that... Most of the guys he's beaten, not to discredit his wins at all, but all the guys he's beaten haven't even had 10 pro wins yet. And, you know, that's not to say that can't change here with a win over Jordan Griffin. But what I am saying is he's fighting very unexperienced fighters. And here against Jordan Griffin, Jordan Griffin's the the complete opposite of having not too much experience. This is a guy who's been in the trenches for many years. I mean, He's had over 20 pro fights. Uh, He's been there. He's done that. He even won a round off Dan Ige. You you understand what I'm saying? So I think that as long as, you know, I mean, look, I know he's going to get taken down. It's a Jordan Griffin fight. He gets taken down every single fight. But as long as he's not held down, I think that he's going to make Yusuf Zalal work for everything. And also, one thing about Yusuf, even though I love his well-rounded skill set, he kind of fights with his hands down. And the right opponent is going to make him pay for that. And... I think Jordan Griffin might have the right pressure, the right experience to capitalize on, on the openings there. So I'm going to also go with Jordan Griffin to kind of vet this one out, and we'll see what happens. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Jin Yu Frey. She's 9 and 4, and Kay Hansen is 6 and 3. Currently, they got Kay Hansen minus 165. The comeback on Jin Yu Frey is plus 145. Well, you got the former Invicta Adam Way champion and Jin Yu Frey taking on. You know, a twenty year old somewhat of a prospect in Kay Hansen and look, it's striker versus grappler. You know Jin Frey wants to keep the standing the entire time the entire time. Kay Hansen wants to mix in her takedowns. And from what I've seen and Jin Yufre couldn't get up from bottom against these uh, atom weights. So what's going to happen when she moves up a weight class? Now, granted, I know those weight cuts were getting tough for her. So she might look a little better here. And while this is standing, she should be able to outpoint Kay Hansen. The thing is, as soon as she's taken down, I'm not convinced she's getting back up. So I'm going to go with Kay of uh, via decision here, Shaq.
1: Yeah, I'm going to just keep this one brief. Uh, I'm going to go with the person that didn't lose to Jody Escabel. So, you know, I'm going to go with Kay Hansen as well.
0: So next up. In the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Takashi Sato, who's 15-3, and three, and Jason Witt is 17-5. and five. Now, currently, there's no odds since this fight was just announced, but I'm assuming that Takashi uh, Sato will be favored in this spot. So, look, Takashi Sato, he's got that karate style. He's very hard to take down. You know, Bilal only took him down two times out of the nine attempts he had uh sato's got a very good judo base uh his hips are on point in terms of stuffing those takedowns and if you uh overextend on one of those tape uh takedown uh, attempts he can judo throw you as well and he's also a sniper on the feet you know he likes to hang back but when it's time to land that straight left counter he's knocked a lot of people out on the downside his chin is a little bit questionable and you know maybe you know you can definitely go out there and pressure this guy and overwhelm him so he can be beat with jason witt Look, he's very experienced. He's way more experienced than the original opponent, uh, the original opponent, Rami's Brahimai. But the thing is here that he's taking the fight on a day notice. So I don't know what kind of shape he's in, but what I do know is he's got a wrestling background. He's won nine of his last ten fights. Uh, you know, he's kind of big for the weight class. So he's an interesting guy, but I'm going to lean with Sato just because he's had the full camp, the UFC experience, all those things. But, man, we've seen crazier things. We saw Justin James go out there get a first-minute knockout you know on a day notice in his debut so I wouldn't be surprised but I'm going still uh, lean with Sato here Shaq
1: yeah gotta go with uh Sato I think he's gonna be a little bit more disciplined in comparison to Frank Camacho who you know missed weight by like two or three pounds uh for his fight with Justin James and then and then got knocked out so yeah I think uh Sato should get the win here I'm, I'm un- it's unfortunate I was looking forward to that matchup with uh with the, with the Arab guy, man, he was, uh, that guy had some big slams and, uh, you know, some good takedowns. So I, I was really interested to see how that fight went. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, he gets a new opponent, so I'm glad Sato gets the fight, but man, he actually, he, he actually, uh, took down Bilal, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in that fight as well. So I think, uh, he's got a decent skill set of his striking, you know, he kind of throws the same type of punches over and over the jab in the straight and, guys can pick it up and start countering him, which leads to him getting dropped. I mean, I've seen Sato floored uh, on numerous occasions. So, and Ben Saunders wobbled him as well. So this guy is somewhat very chinny, but like you said, he's got a, he's got, he gets taken down, but he knows how to get back up. So I'm going to go with uh, Sato here, probably by by knockout.
0: Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Luis, Violent Bob Ross, Pena. He's eight and two and Kama Worthy is 15 and six. Currently, they got Luis Pena minus 230. The comeback on Kama Worthy is plus 190. Shaq, this is a really, really intriguing battle here. Uh, so Kama Worthy is an interesting spot because a lot of people are saying that all the pressure is on Luis Pena. And I completely disagree. The reason why is because, look, even though Kama Worthy is the underdog here and you would think the pressure is off of him, He's got a lot to prove because if he goes out there and loses this fight, not only will he take an L on his record, but then people are going to start to say the Devontae Smith fight was a fluke and this and that. Whereas on the flip side, if he can go out here and get this win over Luis Pena, all of a sudden we're looking at a guy that beat Devontae Smith and Luis Pena. He might get a big fight next. Now, stylistically uh, speaking, I did like the Michael Johnson fight more for Kama Worthy. I was actually low-key going to bet Kama Worthy there at plus 220 odds. I, I felt like he could have capitalized on a mistake that Johnson brings to the table. Here with Pena, it's interesting because Kama does have more experience. Pena's the longer man, and has really been using that length. He's got a nice volume style. He can time the knees, the long strikes, the whole bit. And on the ground, he's very funky as well. My, my whole thing here is that... I know Kama hits like a truck, so Luis is going to try to most likely get this to the ground. Here's That's where I got the question, man, because like, out of all the fights I've seen of Kama Worthy and I've seen over 10 fights of his, I still don't really know what his grappling is like, man. I don't know what his takedown defense is like. The, the only grappling I've seen from him, I saw him choke one guy out a long time ago. That's about the extent of it, so I really do not know what his ground game looks like because I think on the feet... While Pena has the more volume, I think that Worthy can land some serious bombs. You know, one thing about Worthy, i got to give him credit. He's never lost a decision before, and that speaks volumes for a guy who's had over 20 pro fights. So, But on the flip side, he's been knocked out cold more than once, more than twice, more than thrice, you know, four or five times, Shaq. Now, most of those were at 145 pounds, so the question is, was he cutting too much weight at featherweight? You know, is he taking the shots better at 55 or does he simply not have the best chin? So I still have a lot of questions here and I'm going to lean with Luis Pena just because uh, I feel like, you know, I got more more things answered on him. But this might be a dogger pass situation. It might be. So I'm very intrigued to see exactly what happens here on Saturday Night Shack.
1: Yeah, this is a good matchup because, you know, uh, like you said, Kama Worthy's got a lot to prove. You want to see if the uh, Devontae Smith fight was a, a fluke or not. But, man, I actually think that uh, something had to happen in training between those two because, from what I hear, Devontae Smith used to train at uh, Kama Worthy's gym. And, uh, you know, I guess when Kama Worthy got the got got the call, I don't know if Devontae Smith had a flashback or something, but, you know, he just wasn't as aggressive and, you uh, He ended up getting knocked out, man. You know, I've kind of been a little bit critical of Pena in the past just because I think that, you know, he had this idea that, you know, he was going to come into the UFC and, you know, he was... I remember a couple of fights ago, this dude was talking about fighting Mark D'Casey and all this uh, nonsense. You know, I was like, oh, man, this guy, uh," you know, and, you know, I think he ended up losing to Frivola right after that close fight. A lot of people thought that he should have got the nod, but sometimes where Luis... uh, struggles at is kind of in these heated up fights you know for Vola he's kind of a super charged up guy and he kind of broke Luis at times man he kind of pushed the pace on him Uh, same thing as Trezano and Luis was kind of showing the frustration on his face we know that his grappling's really good we know that he's got you know good long boxing he kind of leaves his chin up in the air and Kama Worthy is one of these guys where if you watch tape on him it's kind of he is not very impressive. I mean, he's very stiff. He doesn't move his feet. He doesn't really move his head either, but the, the good thing he's got going for him is that one, he's very confident in himself and and two that, uh, you know, he's got very sneaky power, you know, uh, he kind of has power in a funky spot, you know, he's kind of, he's like an ox, you know, uh, it's not very uh, it's not very pretty, but, you know, hitting the guy hurts. And when he hits you, it hurts. You know, he's one of these very sneaky, strong guys. So, you know, I feel like Luis Pena projects out to be the better fighter. And, and I think he's the more well-rounded fighter. It's just that Kama has a lot of experience. He's been in a lot of these spots where he's gone up against the prospect. And I do feel like Luis Pena still isn't quite there just yet. But I do think he's. I do think he'll get the win. But I think it's gonna be a tough fight, man. I think Kamaworthy, The reason why we haven't seen him, we don't know what his grappling is like because he's too strong. I don't think Luis, if he's thinking of coming out here, that he's gonna, uh, you know, body lock this guy and take him down. I think he's got another thing coming. I think it's a matter of. The hard shots to Kama worthy versus the the kicks and the in the volume of Luis Pena. So I'm gonna go with Pena by a, a close close decision. So I, I do think it's a dog or pass situation. But Pena's been training at ATT switch camps. Maybe he, he, you know he he gets a little better. But at times I have seen him show visible frustration on his face in that cage. force takedowns from far out and, and and not look too good in, in in some spots but he does have a lot of talent so i'm gonna go with him and i think he uh just has a more wider array of uh uh a technique so i'm gonna go with him by uh 29 28 decision
0: yeah and speaking of uh luis pena you know training at att now i heard Kama worthy say that he's been training with a bunch of penn state wrestlers so that might be another reason why we haven't seen him taken down too much so i'm very curious to see him implement that here now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Sean Woodson. He's 7-0, and and Julian Arosa is 23-8. and Currently, they got Sean Woodson minus 475. The comeback on Julian Arosa is plus 380. Well, Shaq, uh, I mean, we have around the same line as we had, uh, you know, against uh, – against julio arce maybe a little bit wider because i know we moved in on julio arce when it was a little bit you know in the minus three something range and look we max bet julio arce against uh julian arosa and even though arce won and even though arce won every single uh round of that fight man i was sweating that entire time and uh but eventually he got the knockout win now you, you you went on record you called sean woodson a matchup problem one thing about Arosa, though, is he's six foot one. So the height advantage isn't going to be too big here, but Woodson still has a four inch reach advantage. You think Woodson's going to present some problems to the very experienced uh, Julian Arosa here?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Ju- Julian Arosa is a tough kid, but we know the deal here. The guy fights with his hands down, his chin up in the air. Very tough kid. He's got a lot of spirit about himself. Um, You know, the Grant Dawson fight was entertaining, but he ended up gassing out there. Uh, Like the Arce fight, he definitely put some pressure on Arce. He's a lot taller than Arce, but in this fight, you know, maybe the the check knee, Woodson's Main weapon might not necessarily uh, be there like it will be in other fights, but uh, I still think Woodson gets the job here. Julian Orosa just gets hit way too much. He fights with his hands completely down. He gasses out, and we know that what the deal is. I mean, they just needed somebody to come take this ass-whooping because of uh, Kyle Nelson couldn't leave Canada. So, you know, <laughs> uh Uh, Sean Woodson, I got him by TKO, uh, but man, maybe it's one of those spots where he feels a little, uh, you know, like he's got a lot to lose and he just plays it safe and, 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 uh, keeps it smart in which I think he's the more technical guy as well. So, uh, you know, Sean Woodson's weakness is the, the clinch, the wrestling, uh, you know, that aspect of the game. And I don't think Julian Arosa necessarily brings that unless he switches things up, but I just don't think he's going to have the cardio to, to do it on Saturday night. So got to go with Sean Woodson by uh, finish here.
0: Yeah. This is really interesting, man, because obviously we mentioned that normally Woodson has this huge height advantage over everyone. You know, he's, he's a six foot two featherweight with a 79 inch reach, but Arosa is six foot one. So the height isn't going to be too big here. The, the thing is that while is a very tough guy, he's very experienced. You know, after the Arce fight, he even went back to the regional scene and, you know, cho- choked some guy out in the first round. So, you know what I mean? He redeemed himself, got the call back. Here's just an issue where Arosa fights hard. He's got good footwork. But when he comes in to exchange in the pocket, his hands are going to be down. He's going to get countered with with a hook, with a straight, with something. And I think he's going to get slept once again, man. Uh Just the way they match up, you know, if you want to stand toe-to-toe with a guy like Sean Woodson, he's cleaner, he's crisper, he's more accurate, he's more precise, and I think that's going to be the difference here. So while the line might seem wide to some, I think the way it plays out, uh, it's going to be justified on Saturday night, Shaq. And also I want to say this. I think Kyle Nelson was a tougher matchup because Kyle Nelson brings a serious KO threat, especially in the first seven minutes. You know he just has a bit of a gas tank issue, whereas Arosa has a chin issue. But man, those first, you know those that first five, those first five minutes with uh, Kyle Nelson is hell on wheels. So, you know uh, Woodson was gonna have to mind his p's and q's there. But I think this might be a little bit of an easier fight. We'll see. Now next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Tanner Bozer. He's seventeen and six, and Philippe Lynch is fourteen and four. Currently, they got. Tanner Bozer minus 115, and Philippe Lynch is minus 105. So, Shaq, obviously a lot of the hype that Philippe Lynch had coming in from PFL has been taken away. I mean, he was a favorite over Arlovsky, but when you pull the kind of stunt he pulled and you stop throwing after round one, you're not going to be as respected at, at the betting window. But at the same time, Arlovsky has a way of making these guys have those low-volume fights with him. That's what he was able to do with Philippe Linz. You think Lins can get back on track here against a very tough Bozer who also has pretty good output uh, for the heavyweight uh, division?
1: Man, I'm, I'm looking forward to this fight very, very much. I know uh, not too many people are high on these guys, but I'm looking forward to this fight just for the reason that, you know, I really feel like this is one of the cases of where, People have things a little bit misconstrued, man. I think that, you know, people are kind of shitting on Linz because, oh, my God, you know, he lost to Arlovsky. You know, Arlovsky loses every fight. But that's not the way I look at it, man. I feel like uh, Arlovsky is a tough, tough test for these young guys, especially in a UFC debut. I mean, we're talking about a guy that went to split decision with Walt Harris. I mean, going into that fight, everyone thought Walt Harris was going to knock him out in the first round. You know, he went to a split decision with Augusto Sakai, who's undefeated in the UFC. That was Augusto Sakai's toughest fight, in my opinion. Arlovsky, look, yeah, he, he loses the majority of his fights. But, yeah, so, yeah, I think that although Arlovsky's got a, a bad UFC record, that uh, he gives people a lot of tough fights and he's a very fast heavyweight. And I think Lenz that was a step up in competition from uh, for him coming up from, from PFL fighting the likes of Nicholson and these guys like that in which he dominated those fights and I still think Arlovski is a is a respectable fighter so losing to him uh really I don't I don't like think that Felipe Lin sucks by any means I think that people are actually overrating the skills of Tanner Bozer I think Tanner Bozer you know when initially when he came into the UFC we all thought he sucked but then he had that nice win over Daniel Spitz but bro look at Daniel Spitz's record. Daniel Spitz honestly, like, is not UFC caliber, man. (laughs) Like, he's got one win over uh, Anthony Train Hamilton, who uh, you know, has no chin, and uh, Tanner Bozer you know did his job he hit spits more times than spits hit him and he moved around but I don't think there's anything special with this guy man I think he's you know average slow he moves away he's not very aggressive he throws single shots at a time and I think that lens just slightly misjudged I think he probably came in with the hopes of putting Arlovsky you know out in the fifth row for, with the knockout and you know things probably didn't go that way but I think in the second time the fact that he's getting right back in there I think he can stand in the pocket with Bozer and he's got the faster hand speed more power in my opinion more aggressive and I think that the the in the in the betting lines man he should be favored here you know I think that people got this loss to Alaski misconstrued he stopped doing this and that hey I, I disagree with that statement too but yeah, the volume did slow down. But I think in the second fight he'll correct those uh correct those things that are just small adjustments. And I think that Tanner Bowser is just I know he went three with Surreal Gone, but he kinda has this style of uh sitting back single shots and if he starts to take a lot of damage he'll uh he'll just sit back and he'll be okay with that so I, I think that Felipe Lins is gonna come out here stand with Tanner Bowser in the middle move forward land the harder shots and either gonna knock out but if it goes all three rounds I actually think he gets the decision this time so I'm gonna go with Felipe Lins
0: yeah look uh Felipe Lins definitely let me down in that debut but I was high on him for a reason. He showed a well-rounded skill set in the PFL. The guy can strike. He's got a jiu-jitsu black belt. And one thing about Tanner Bozer is, uh, you know, he's kind of got volume for a heavyweight. You know, he's good at doing a little bit of the point fighting. He's got a nice jab, a good leg kick game. He can circle on the outside. So if Philippe Lins does come out here with very low output, that's the way that uh, Tanner Bozer can kind of weasel a decision. But aside from that, I do expect Felipe Lins to come out here throw more. And I think the difference is going to be that when he lands his shots, they're going to be more impactful than that of Tanner Bozer's. And this is going to be a, a chance for Felipe Linz to reintroduce himself to the UFC fans because I know that first impression wasn't the best, but I still think he's got more to show. And I think we have seen the finished product from Tanner Bozer. Look, he's solid. He did way better than I expected him to, especially in those first two fights. Uh, you know, because I was under the impression that he was like a Canadian big country. It turns out that's not the case. He's got a nice point fighting style. But regardless of that, I think that Lins is the more skilled guy. I think he's got the higher ceiling. And I think he's going to come out here and prove it and get his first UFC win. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Brendan All-In Allen. He's 14 and three. And Kyle Dawkins is nine and 0. Currently, they got Brendan Allen minus 310. The comeback on Kyle Dawkins is plus 255. Shaq, this is interesting because they got a very uh, similar style to each other. You know, uh, Kyle Dawkins kind of does what Brendan Allen does. It's just that he's a little bit more on the greener side. You know, he hasn't taken the setbacks like Brendan Allen has. And, you know, I'm not going to say he hasn't paid his dues because he definitely has. But uh, I think that Brendan Allen's the more experienced guy here. But is this a upset spot or do you think Brendan Allen rolls?
1: Man, this is an interesting fight because, you know, I actually... Uh before uh we supposed to fight brendan was supposed to fight heinish and you know i was looking forward to that fight and kyle Dawkins, uh you know i actually didn't see his contender series fight when it happened so i had no idea who he was i was thinking the guy was probably going to be you know a a complete uh you know just green or but man i i came away impressed I, i thought the guy was actually you know he might not be there quite yet but i think he's got a bright bright future man i think that You know, the line is wide because, you know, Brandon submitted Holland, ran through Tom Breeze. Like, there's two wins in the UFC. He's definitely done his thing. He's been looking the best he ever has. But, man, I I potentially think he could be playing a little bit with fire here, man. This guy, Dawkins, is super big. uh, I think they said he used to be a former heavyweight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, The guy, and he's super talented, man. The big, long southpaw with jiu-jitsu skills as well um it's gonna be a good fight man and Brennan he's kind of he just come pretty much comes out here and, and initiates the grappling right off the bat and forces the takedowns and he's so strong that he's he just kind of been overwhelming these guys lately and they when they when he gets on top of them they just uh seem like man this guy's so strong on top man I can't I can't get him off me and You know, he's come a long way from losing to guys like Fluffy Hernandez and and Anders. He was super young. I think Brennan's still only like 24, 25. So, you know, the sky's the limit for that kid, man. Um, So, uh, yeah, obviously I favor him to win. But, man, I I, I, I think there's a possibility. It could be a sweat, man. I think that Doc is is super big. I think the Southpaw stance could give Brennan possibly a little trouble. And if he mismanages, you know, his energy on the mat and they have to get back up to the feet, like I think Dawkins has the skills to, to potentially, you know, cause some problems, man. So although I'm a pick Brennan for the win here, I don't think it's going to be as dominant as people are, probably thinking just because you know he's been on this run let's just be honest here I got Kyle Dawkins over Tom Breeze and that's just facts so uh you know I, you know, I think that uh I, I'll take Brendan for the win he's been looking good man he's very confident he wants to fight in that top 15 but I'm I'm very high on Kyle Dacus I think he's got a bright future ahead of him but uh we'll see what happens man but obviously I'll go with Brendan for the win
0: yeah, look, it's interesting because these guys have very similar styles. They're trying to do the same thing, and they're also both huge for the weight class. You know, uh, Docus is six foot three. He's got the undefeated record, and uh, I mean, he'll body he'll body these guys, man. He's so physical in there. It's just that my issue with this matchup is that Dacus kind of reminds me of Brendan Allen a couple of years ago. Remember when Brendan Allen? just couldn't get over the hump in the LFA. He would keep losing those title fights. And then eventually he won, you know, paid his dues, won a contender series, won his two UFC fights. So I feel like Kyle Dawkins might be right at that point where he's going to have a bright future, no doubt about it. And I like, I like the guy, you know, you hear him talk and, He's been dieting this entire time. He's been training hard. he He's a true professional, so we can't take anything away from him. This isn't like a regular short-notice fill-in where, you know, the guy's, you know, been eating Cheetos uh, on the couch, you know. And Kyle Dawkins has been training this entire time. My only thing is this. So his fight before Contender Series, you know, he, he did – dominate jonathan webb and finish him but like there was a moment when jonathan webb took his back or even the fight after contender series where that guy almost pounded him out or the guy after you know some fat dude took his back so it's like if these guys are getting these little you know, positions on you and having these little moments against you. I just feel like when Brendan Allen gets on top, that the fight might actually be over shortly after. And I could also see a back and forth scramble fest because, you know, Docus is a black belt himself, black belt versus black belt. But I feel like Brendan Allen's really coming to his own. You know, all those, you know, because. Dude, I know you remember how we used to feel about Brendan Allen back when he was on the regional scene. And it's like, oh, look, Brendan Allen lost another LFA title fight, you know, and then eventually he got over that hump, and now he's really shining in the UFC. So I feel like that experience has to count for something. I'm not going to count out Kyle Dawkins. I think he's tough, but I simply think that when Brendan Allen gets him in some of those spots that some of these other regional opponents got him in, that it, it, it might be over soon after. So... I'm going to go with Brendan Allen to stop Kyle Dacus, but I think Dawkins will be back for sure. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Maurice Green. He's 9-4, and, and Jean Volante. or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Jean Valanche is 17-11. and 11. Currently, they got Maurice Green, minus 230. The comeback on Jean Volante is plus 190. Well, uh shaq uh the crochet boss uh maurice green now he's doing this camp at jackson so you know he's got the elevation to work with he's got some big bodies in the room and with john volante he doesn't have to cut weight anymore so at least he's got that going for him uh are we still under the impression that john volante is on his way out or could this be a, a rebirth in his career here at heavyweight
1: <laughs> that was funny but uh you know uh man you know maurice green he kind of gets a bad rap but man uh It's another one of those things where I think people have things misconstrued. I think that, you know, everyone's kind of pissed at him because I know there were a lot of bets on him to beat Olenek that last fight. And he uh, ended up getting submitted. But, man... This is another one of those things where I just think that Green kind of got a little bit rushed up, man, because, you know, on past podcasts, I'm super high on that kid Pavlovich, man. Uh, Ever since he lost to uh, Overeem, he's come back, and he's absolutely run through these dudes like it's nothing. And I think he's got another guy with a bright future ahead of him. And then Olenek, you know, I mean, I know the technique's sloppy, but how many submissions does he have? Like, fucking... You know, and going into that fight, I said we can't bet on Maurice Green just because we don't know where, you know, his ground ground game is going to be at against a guy with this uh, amount of submissions. And fucking for Christ's sake, man, Olenek just beat Verdum, you know, that's got to count for something. I just think Green was fighting at a level that he's not good enough to fight at yet. But now that you take this step down in competition with Volante, and look, Volante's a tough guy, but Dan, when's the last time John Volante looked good in a fight?
0: i don't know if ever he's had exciting fights but look good is a different question
1: when has john Volante ever looked good in a fight that's what oh. <laughs> you know what i'm saying you know even his best performance cory anderson you know a fun fact a lot of people don't even know that he was down two zip on two of the cards you know uh as crazy as that sounds um When he was landing all those low kicks, but yeah, I think it's a good spot for green to come out here and get a win. I think that uh, he's the bigger guy. He throws more volume with the low kicks is Maurice green in general that good. No, but I actually think that in a lot of these spots, you could possibly, I, I think with John Vellante's borderline retirement, man, I think that his last fight, he got absolutely ran through. They're talking about his fight before that. It was a slobber knocker with Ed, a short fuse Herman where both guys wobbled. The Sam Malvi fight, he got wobbled. You know, the uh, all those fights were ugly, sloppy fights where you're just looking at John Volante. So, man, to be honest, when he was scheduled to fight Rothwell, I-, I was honestly considering putting seven to ten units on Rothwell, man. I was like... There's just no way in hell this heavyweight thing is going to work out, bro. He's too slow. You know, uh, if he's looking to come in with more power, I just think that he's going to get countered and knocked out against these guys, man. So I'm going to go with Maurice Green. Um, and I don't think the line is necessarily too high, to be honest, man. I think that in a lot of these spots, you could see, you know, Volante, oh, fade him, you know, fade him all the way up to... You know, minus uh, 300, 350, he's got nothing left. But I, I obviously people are are a little hesitant because Maurice Green cost him their, uh, his last fight. But I'm going to go with Green here by, by knockout or lopsided decision. I think he throws a lot more volume. Uh, his boxing isn't the best, but I just think John Vellante's health is just not good, and it hasn't been good in a long... We're talking about... Remember the Tom Lawler fight back in the day, bro? You remember the... uh. The uh, Alir Latifi fight back in the day. I mean, like, John sa the, the, even his his fight of the night win over Saperbek Safarov. I mean, bro, those fights are, like, uncomfortable at times, man. And, you know, I think he's moving up to heavyweight because he's old. He's got a foot out the door. He just had a baby. He doesn't want to cut weight anymore. And, he, and he's looking at, to get this nice, fat payday. So, you know, uh, I'm going to go with Maurice Green
0: here. Yeah, look, uh, Green's got a lot of physical tools here. He's six foot seven. He's got the massive reach. And uh, it seemed to me like he was starting to really, you know, use that that range and That length better than he ever has his last few fights. I know he got stopped in those fights, but I I was seeing progress every single time out. You know, Compared to the Jeff Hughes fight, to the Junior Albini fight, and then uh, the Alexi fight, he had some good moments on the feet. So I feel like he's been progressing, and now that he went down to uh, Jackson Wink, I know they've been losing a lot of fights, but at least they got some heavyweights there for him to work with. He said the issue with Factory X was that you know, despite them being a great gym, he just didn't have any big guys to, to move around with. So he He kind of felt like he was maintaining instead of improving. Whereas now he's got the high elevation to work on the cardio and he's got a bunch of bodies to, to work with. So that's one good thing. And with Volante, I, I heard his interview and doesn't seem like his training situation is exactly the best you know i hear all the gyms over there in new york are closed down so he's just kind of been doing the garage thing you know he's just been doing the basics to maintain whereas i feel like maurice Green's actually adding to his skill set so i'm gonna go with maurice green as well not to mention the current state of volante you know he got ran through by a tiny 205 er me call last fight and I think it's going to be something similar here, a body kick, a knee, a straight, something along the way. It's just that Maurice Green's got to be uh, careful early because early on, look, one thing about Volante is he hits hard. That's about the extent of it. You know, he'll wing some big overhands. He's got a nice uh, kick as well, but his cardio, his decision-making, all that stuff has always been very shady. And let me just say this. Shout-out to Volante. Check out his strike force fight versus Chad Griggs, uh, one of the best – one round fights i've ever seen uh he actually gets knocked out in that fight but unbelievable fight so make sure you watch john Vellante versus chad griggs on youtube or on fight pass amazing fight but i'm gonna go with uh maurice green here uh, via knockout or decision as well co-main event in the evening in the welterweight division we got a matchup between platinum mike perry he's 13 and 6 and mickey gall is 6 and 2 Currently, they got Mike Perry minus 320. The comeback on Mickey Gall is plus 260. Uh, Shaq, this is interesting, man, because it's like if I'm guaranteed the Mike Perry, you know, just if he's got, you know, the right people behind him and he's in amazing shape, like when he fought Vicente Luque or, you know, some of his great wins, then I might not only pick him here. I might actually max bet him here. It's just that, uh... When you're dealing with a guy in Mike Perry who, you know, people are thinking, oh, is he just playing with everyone, saying that he's got no coaches and he's got his girlfriend? No, no, he's not playing with anyone. He's entirely serious. Uh, you know, me and you know what happened, but let's just say he got kicked out his gym earlier this year. Look, his whole life, not, not to shit on the guy because I'm a fan, he's very exciting to watch, but, like, the guy gets married in February, gets divorced in March, leaves his gym that same month. Now he's in Texas, uh, you know, with training with some amateurs. So I'm not really entirely sure what his motivation is or what his training situation is. I just know that he does not have Julian Williams with him, who got him to this point, and I'd think that if you're, you know, training to fight a guy like Mickey Gall, the one thing Mickey Gall brings to the table, he does have a black belt in jiu-jitsu, at least get those grappling rounds in with a guy like Julian Williams, with a guy like Jacare, all the people they had at Fusion XL, so I think he kind of thinks this is a joke, and uh, you know, I I know for a fact our supporters remember the fact that, uh, you know, our biggest wager to date, or one of them, was Randy Brown against Mickey Gall, and the reason why is because Mickey Gall got signed to the UFC with a 1-0 and record, so it makes sense why we'd fade him against anyone legitimate. I mean, think about this, Shaq. You go from fighting Mike Jackson and CM Punk, right, which is basically the equivalent of two regional fights, and then all of a sudden it's like, here's Randy Brown at MSG, you know what I mean? Like That's like the biggest leap I've ever seen in my life. And... Mickey actually hung in there, man. He went all three rounds. He even won the second round on all three judges' scorecards. Me and you were thinking this is about to be a walk in the park. We're going to lay him out in the first 30 seconds, and then Mickey's on top of us in the second round, and we're, like, praying for Randy to survive. So that was the first moment, you know, back in 2017, where I was like, look, Mickey's extremely green. You know, he probably doesn't belong right now, but at least he's tough. At least he's a gamer. So I I didn't think, like, man, this guy, you know, is a quitter or anything. I was like, he's tough as hell. He just doesn't really have the skills right now. So he got a chance to develop a little bit more, you know, got that first-round sub against uh, George Sullivan. Then they throw him in there with a UFC Hall of Famer in Diego. The fight starts out, and he literally thinks he's Joe Lozon, thinks he's about to knock him out in the first minute. When that didn't happen, he completely gassed out. Then comes back a few months later, and the thing you got to understand is these guys with 10 fights or less, they're going to be making these huge leaps every single time we see them. And the leap I saw from the Diego Sanchez fight to the Salim Tuari fight was a massive step in the right direction because uh he actually went out there and doubled any strike count he's had up until that point he landed 50 strikes which doesn't sound like much but when you compare it to any of his previous uh performances and then you look at the fact that hey he's still young he's still growing if he can just build off that the next fight might be even better and the the interesting thing about this is that he showed solid fight iq and He had a willingness to dig deep when the going got tough because he did get tired in that second round, but he kept pushing and actually went out to dominate the third. So that was a massive step in the right direction, and it's been about 10 months since then. So if he can build off that, listen, it's a situation where you got a guy who's training every single day trying to improve as quick as possible, whereas I know Perry's not... Uh, evolving at all he's just maintaining because he's not training with any coaches he's simply just getting in shape for the fight but he's not adding anything to his skill set so this might be the time where gall can actually level up and finally get a big win under his belt it's just certain things are going to have to take place for that to happen you know because i feel like mike Perry's not just going to come out here and you know fight smart you know, set up his shots, knock this guy out. I feel like he thinks this is such a joke that he might come out here trying to taunt the guy and one mistake on the mat and he could get choked out. So I kind of lined it closer to where the opener was around, you know, the minus 150 to minus 170 range for Mike Perry. So here at minus 300, I think it's a dog or pass situation, and mixed with everything that's been going on, this might be a spot to roll the dice. And I think that uh, Mickey Gall might shock a lot of people. I might be dead wrong, but I think this Saturday has all the ingredients for him to rise to the occasion and choke out Mike Perry somewhere along the way. So I'm going to actually go with Mickey Gall for the upset here, Shaq.
1: Yeah, you know, Mike Perry uh, is a guy where I – i've never really been that impressed with him you know when he first came in he definitely had a lot of hype but you could just see eventually that uh he would get exposed and that's exactly what's happened um i think that he uh, is a little bit insecure you know i think that he he's got a lot of problems like you mentioned before but he you know uh you know mike perry's a, a one of a kind man um I think that Mickey, like you said, he there was definitely a step in the right direction in that fight with uh, Salim Tuari. Uh, he definitely gutted it out after that rough second round. Um, man, I, obviously Perry's fought a, a level of competition. I, mean, I, I definitely think it's a step down in competition for Perry to go from the, the names that he's been fighting Vicente luke jeff neal alex cowboy olivera cerrone uh you know all these guys and you know i don't think mickey's anywhere on that level but I, i like i like what i i've been hearing from mickey sounds like he's in a good space mentally it seems like he got really humbled from that diego sanchez fight and it seems like he's been uh saying all the right things doing all the right things um I actually disagree with the opening line. I think it should have been a little wide If if I was personally setting the line, just because I oh, look, look, I ain't no Mike Perry fan. I think the dude's an idiot. I think like everything he says is borderline, you know, uh, retarded. I think like the guy is, is stupid. Um, it's just. I think it's a big gap for Mickey to cover. You know, I think that uh, although Mike Perry is average, he's 6-6 six and six in the UFC. He uh, got knocked out. Was that the first time he got knocked out on his last fight? Yeah, the first yeah. time. In MMA, time yeah. He got knocked out. You said what? You said what?
0: In MMA it was, but he got knocked out in boxing too. But yeah, MMA first yeah. knockout loss.
1: First time he got knocked out in his last fight mixed in with the whole girl thing so just mike perry in general i think money wise is bad business uh right now like you know the whole girlfriend being his coach thing and i and uh <laughs> man that's uh that's something else i mean but this is what he does man he's had his girl in his he's had his girl giving him advice in the past you know break a leg mike break a leg <laughs> you know uh, But man, I think Mickey's in the right direction. It's just, I don't see in what department where he's going to get this done, man. I, I think, you know, if, you know, the angle of he can submit him. I think Perry, you know, honestly, I know he got submitted by Cerrone, but I think he's got underrated wrestling. He took down Cerrone he uh he took down Alex Cowboy Oliveira he was able to weather the storm and win those late rounds you know I think the Vicente fight those those level of fighters he's just not gonna beat simple but he had a good showing that the volume of Vicente was uh was what got him the nod over Perry's just every so often big punches um and Jeff Neal we know that Jeff Neal's a top 10 guy and it actually looked like Perry clipped him and then he got kind of reckless and ate a high kick and and then, you know, eventually went down. Uh, But no, man, you make some good points. Betting perspective, it's dog or pass 100%. It's just uh, – I don't see where Mickey's going to get this win unless he, if Perry's just that shot and he gives up his back. But I actually think Perry's got a good, strong clinch game on the fence. I think he can kind of overpower Mickey, kind of frustrate him in the strength department. And uh, he, and Mickey, you know, he still kind of flops to his back in that. And one thing about the Salim Tuari fight, like I'm not going to discredit Mickey for that win. It was a great, a, it was his best performance against, you know, a, a somewhat of a real fighter. But Salim Tuari, man. Even though I don't like Mike Perry and I think he's an idiot, it's just complete night and day, the intensity level, just the, like, Salim Tawari is out the UFC, if I'm not mistaken, man. I think that Salim Tuari worries too much, is hesitant to throw, and that was something that, like, going into that fight, I was like, oh, man, Salim Tuari, yeah, for sure he'll beat Mickey, but then I watched the tape on him. I think I told you that this guy fights like Sung Bin Joe. <laughs> this guy, he doesn't throw, he's, he's absolutely terrified to fight, and I think that was one of the reasons why, I mean, I, if, if I was Mickey's manager, I would have went with something more along those lines, but I think Mickey's going in the right direction. I just don't think he's ready to beat Mike Perry just yet, but I think that is going to play out closer but i see mike perry kind of just bullying him and you know tying up tying him up on the fence and just get and i don't want to say the kid's an overrated black belt because he does have four uh rear naked chokes but i do see areas on the ground where you know he does lose position and you know he will flop to his back so i think perry could capitalize but with perry's mental state man who knows uh but i'll go with mike perry
0: Main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we got Dustin the Diamond Poirier. He's 25 and 6. And Dan the hangman hooker is 20 and 8. Currently, they got Dustin Poirier minus 235. The comeback on Dan Hooker is plus 195. So Shaq, it's a bit of a wide line here. So they're expecting Dustin to come out here and run through uh Dan Hooker. And I could totally see it. You know, if you're guaranteeing me. The Dustin Poirier that fought Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway, you know the fact that he's got the he already has his amazing power, which he's had his entire career. But the output against guys like Gaethje and and Holloway, you know he was landing over 300 or throwing over 300 strikes in those bouts, mixed with the intensity, the hunger. That guy, I don't think he just beats Dan Hooker. I think he runs through Dan Hooker, possibly in the first round. It's just that coming off the title loss is Dustin still as hungry and as intense as he's always been? Because that's my big question here. Not, I'm not doubting the diamond at all. Just historically speaking, based off fighters coming off the title loss, you know how it is, Shaq. So what's your opinion of this line and uh, the matchup in general?
1: Yeah, it's a great matchup. I think that uh, Hooker's been looking good. He's got these uh, these nice victories. But, uh, you know, as far as how they match up, I think Hooker's long, rangy, maybe even slightly better kickboxing, Dustin, better uh, boxing. But, man, uh, I think this fight's going to come down to the intangibles, man, and, and mindset. You know, I think that, yeah, Dustin's coming off the title loss. It is kind of a dreaded spot. But, man, just... Uh, I don't want to say I'm close to the situation, but just knowing this guy's mentality, man, I think that it's never wavered since this loss. You know, I think he's been training the entire time and and he's looking to, you know, get back in there. I don't think that he got deterred or, you know, discouraged by anything. I think he took Dan Hooker very seriously and uh, he's very well prepared for this fight and Hooker, this is the biggest fight of his life, a huge opportunity for him. So as far as like their most recent fights, um, you know, Hooker's last three in particular, you know, he knocked out Vic who, you know, uh, in my opinion, just, you know, ever since the Gaethje fight it's just kind of been uh and the Felder fight it's just kinda been, you know, hasn't been as nice, you know. Uh he just can't take that damage anymore. So that win uh, although it was a fuck a fucking great knockout, uh I just think it was more so circumstantial. The Ally Akinta fight was a a great fight as well. Um, Great performance, dominated him from start to finish with the low kicks. But also, I feel like Ally Akinta is just not the caliber of fighter that everyone thought he was, ever was. And, you know, uh, it was a good performance, but Ally Akinta just isn't a, a legitimate threat, in my opinion, in terms of upper echelon of lightweights and but hey he treated him accordingly But then the, so the paul felder fight is what i really want to get into you know it was a great back and forth fight hooker was able to uh to get the nod in australia and uh it was a great performance man uh, i thought he did a very good job of keeping his range but what i uh and we know that he's got the checked knees his boxing good hooker's a very very sharp fighter um And it was his first five-round fight, so I'm sure he, uh, you know, got a little bit more confidence. You know, what I'll say is in those late rounds, man, one thing I notice is that Hooker's defense isn't as sharp as it is in the late rounds as it is in the early rounds. I feel like as the fight progresses, he progressively starts to drop his hands, his chin progressively starts to to tilt up, and I feel like he bleeds very easily. And I feel like, uh, you know, I think he... you know, just kind of, I don't want to say breaks, because he definitely got through that fight. He was able to get that last takedown. But, you know, in spots where Paul Felder, no, and no offense to Paul Felder, a great fighter, I just think that a guy like Dustin Poirier, if he gets in spots like that, is really going to make Dan Hooker pay. You know, I feel like Paul Felder's a guy where, you know, his biggest issue is, you know, Paul, let it go. Paul, you know, you need to open up a little bit more, you know, and I feel like Paul just has this issue where he kind of stays in this tight Muay Thai stance and he just never like, oh, you got at some point in some of these fights, man, you just got to go after him. And I feel that's where Paul is going to regret that loss. I feel like Paul had several opportunities to just say, hey, let's get into it and let's go after him. And he kind of just sat back and he kind of did what, you know, Paul Felder does in a lot of his losses. And, you know, he he didn't throw enough. He let uh, Hooker kind of slightly outwork him. So I think that Dustin Poirier you know, needs to play this very careful early because I think Hooker is very charged up. He's very excited about this opportunity, and he thinks that he's gonna to he's gonna get an early knockout. But you know, I think that if this fight becomes a war, if adversity pops up, I feel like one guy's gonna be prepared for it and one guy's not. You know, I, I've been seeing a lot of Dan Hooker saying he's getting the knockout, he's getting the knockout. But what happens if both guys end up get, getting bloody and this becomes a blood and tooth? Uh, you know, a you know a guts and nails type of fight, man. I don't think that. I'm not saying that he, he showed his uh, toughness against Edson Barboza 100, percent but in a fight against Dustin Poirier, who I consider one of the best lightweights of all time, you need to be ready to go five rounds. And in those five rounds, things are gonna you're gonna get hit with some type of blows that, uh, you know. Paul, as where Paul Felder kind of let you off the hook, in a sense, Dustin Poirier will not let you off the hook. The volume is only going to start picking up, you know, that victory over Max Holloway. Max Holloway, what's he known for? That punch count, that volume, that endless amount of uh, punches. And Dustin Poirier met him in the middle and if not through more volume than a man. So I-, I got Dustin Poirier in this fight i understand hooker could i mean it's lightweight these at this in this division anyone can get knocked out but i feel like the intangibles the heart of Dustin Poirier. And I feel like people, you know, say, you know, Dustin's been hearing it for years. You know, he's got a suspect chin. He he's chinny, this and that. And, you know, I feel like his defense along the years has gotten so much more sharper. He's defensively sound. He uh, doesn't make those same lunging mistakes as he used to. And I feel like he's going to not only come out here and beat Dan Hooker, but finish Dan Hooker. And I think that he's going to re reintroduce his name into that, in that, uh, in that title picture man I think that Dan Hooker is going to get outclassed on Saturday night but I respect his skills as a fighter but I just think that Dustin Poirier is too tough to uh, and I think he's just as hungry. I know a lot of people coming off these title fights falter a little bit and and maybe that does happen. Maybe maybe it is uh maybe it is just Hooker's time but I I, I I uh I disagree when it comes to Dustin Poirier, man. I think that he's he's still focused. He's got, you know, flashers on. He's not thinking about anything else. He didn't underestimate Hooker in any sense. You know, a lot of a lot of times, like for example, Tyron Woodley, uh, for example, you know, when he was coming off his title fight, time in and time in. He was kind of trying to discredit Burns like, oh, you know, if he if if he loses, you know, you know, saying shit like that. Oh, he only lost to a champ as where Dustin play. He doesn't think like that, man. He's got one of the best minds minds mindsets in the sport. And I just think that he's a more crisper boxer than uh, Dan Hooker, especially in the late rounds. And uh, I I think he's going to get the better of him, make this a blender, make this a a ugly, bloody type of fight. And I think he knocks Dan Hooker out somewhere in that second or third round.
0: Yeah, you know, speaking of the mindset, something interesting I heard in their interviews, you know, when they asked Dustin Poirier about any future matchups, he's like, my mindset is only on Dan Hooker right now, you know? and Because, you know, these journalists love to ask about what's next, even though the fight hasn't happened yet for whatever reason. But when they asked Dan Hooker about that, he's like, you know, if I, if I win, I can fight uh, Gaethje or Khabib, but if I lose, I can, you know, beat Charles Oliveira and get back in there. And I'm like, wait, Charles Oliveira? Dude, you're fighting Dustin Poirier. Let's not think about anything else except Dustin because if you you know, have one foot out the door, if you're slightly looking at something else, uh, you're not just going to get beat down. You're going to get knocked out. And the Poirier that we've been seeing lately – it's the best Poirier we've ever seen, obviously, like we already mentioned, the power has always been there. But now the cardio, the output, you know, for him to match or exceed the output of guys like Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje, it's already been proven that, you know, he's diverse enough to not just go out there and get a first round knockout, but he can win these extended out wars, the these long fights where it really comes down to the will and who wants it more. And you don't often see guys that want it more than Justin Gaethje. You don't often see guys that want it more than Max Holloway, and that's exactly what he proved in there. And, you know, the Habib fight, listen, Habib does that to everyone, and not to mention Hooker ain't about to come out here, and, you know, Hooker ain't about to do that to, to Dustin, right? So, look, Dustin just has to be careful here, you know, because I know he's going to rock Hooker early. And when he does that, and you know, you know the Poirier blitz, You know the Poirier finishing combo. Every time he's got an opponent hurt, and he just goes crazy. Just has to be careful there because Hooker's a very, very durable guy. He's a little extra durable than than these guys. You know, he kind of reminds me of like Max Holloway, just with a little bit more knockout power, maybe an inch or two taller. You know what I mean? Uh, So it's gonna have to be a same kind of approach. When you hurt the guy, keep hurting him over and over again. You know, don't let him off the hook because this guy Hooker's got some sneaky tools. You know, Uh, those knees. I really got a lot of respect for those knees, man. Like, he'll just pump them up out of nowhere, and he gets them up real high. So, you know, if, if Dustin's ducking his head a little bit too much, uh, he's got to be careful not to eat one of those. And also, when they're trading in the pocket, Hooker is sharp. Uh, you know, I know his name's Hooker. He's, he's sharp with those hooks, man, straight up. And he can lay people out. He can switch stances like Holloway, but he's got that one-punch power too. But he can also point fight as well. So Hooker brings a lot of good things to the table. It's just the firepower that Dustin brings is far superior and you know anyone can get knocked out in this fight but I I think that if it actually plays out and we get to see both of their skill sets over the five round duration that Dustin Poirier is far superior and I think he's going to prove that tomorrow night in Vegas and honestly man while I could see the five round war I could totally see that happening I think Dustin's going to get back to vintage Dustin. I think he's going to come out here and knock uh, hooker out in the first round. I think if he looks anything like he did against Gaethje or Holloway, it's going to be vicious. I think he's got hooker completely outgunned. Just got to be on your P's and Q's because hooker's a very tricky and opportunistic sniper-like kind of guy. So show up uh, the best you ever have, Dustin, and you win this fight most likely by knockout. So, yeah, I'm going with the diamond Dustin Poirier here to get back in the win column and start a new uh, run towards the title. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC on ESPN 12?
1: My fight to watch is going to be the uh, co-main event between Mickey Gall and Mike Perry. You know, if Mickey Gall can get this win, he will solidify himself and finally start to get some of that respect, uh, you know, that he kind of lost after that Diego Sanchez fight. And then Perry, I mean, Perry, (laughs) Perry needs a win bad, man. He's six and six. You know, if he loses this, he'll be six and seven. I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but uh, I remember a couple years ago somebody uh, said that he might be fighting in in Indian casinos, uh, uh, you know, soon, and it's approaching that point uh, (laughs) coming up here shortly. So, you know, we gotta—he needs a win bad. I mean, what's going on in the media hasn't been looking too good. Uh, That's my fight to
0: watch. And it's not just what's uh, been going on in the media. There's stuff me and you know about that hasn't even been released. So, uh, you know, we wish both these guys the best. But for me, my fight to watch is Luis Pena versus Kama Worthy because I got so many questions about both guys, where they are, But one thing I don't have a question about Shaq is I know this is going to be an exciting fight. I know they're going to throw down. There's a chance someone gets knocked out, choked out, or it's a three-round war. So that much I know. But I also want all my questions answered about Kama Worthy's grappling. Was the Devontae Smith fight, you know, a flash in the pan? Or is he about to come out here and make a run? And Luis Pena, he's been in the UFC since a very young age and a very, uh, you know, ripe time in his career so what kind of progress has he been making so for all those reasons Shaq Pena versus Worthy is my fight to watch well Shaq who is your fighter to watch for UFC Vegas for
1: I'm going to say uh Sean Woodson, man, actually, I know that a lot of people think that he, you know, probably has an easy matchup here, but Eros is a tough kid. And I feel like Sean Woodson can potentially be a matchup problem for a lot of these guys at 45 that, you know, where their height is uh five, eight or below or, or five, nine or below, her cause you know, if they start ducking that head down, those knees are, uh, are coming right up the middle. And I think that this fight, uh, against Arosa is going to tell us a lot, man, of where he really lies in this division. If he, you know, somewhat, you know, has a lackluster decision against Arosa, then maybe they need to go the slow path. But if he comes out here and puts Julian Arosa away, you know, you know, in the first round, then I feel like they need to give this kid a, a bigger step up than Nelson, you know? I feel like maybe, you know, give him, a, you know, I don't know, maybe Jordan or something, you know? I feel like... uh you know, Sean Woodson's got a lot of potential.
0: I hear uh, Volante weighed in 255, so I got, got to see uh, what that was all about. But uh, for me, my fighter to watch is Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Look, this is a guy that can retire right now, and he'll already go down in history as one of the most exciting lightweights in the history of the sport. I mean, just one of the most exciting lighter weight fighters in the history of the sport, because let's not forget about his run at featherweight where he was top five the entire time, right? So this guy's been... Putting on some of the most exciting fights in the history of the sport, and oftentimes when you call guys exciting fighters, it's almost like you're making up for something. You're you're calling them exciting; they're exciting, but they're not quite a top guy, right? You know, the fact that you know he's not a top five guy, but he's exciting. Whereas with Poirier, he's a top three guy, and he's the most exciting guy in the company. So it's one of those situations where he can literally add to his legacy here with a new run and with a win here over Hooker, because it's like. What He's already accomplished. I don't know if you guys recall. So he obviously had his run at featherweight. But when he, when he first came to lightweight for the first run and he knocked out Diego Ferreira and Bobby Green, beat the shit out of Joe Duffy, Yancy Medeiros, all these guys, right then and there we were like, dude, oh, my God, he's looking incredible. He had the setback to Michael Johnson. People thought, hey, that, that's the cap right there. Then he went on an even more historic run when he beat Holloway, when he beat uh, Gaethje, when he beat Pettis, Eddie Alvarez, all these guys. So right then and there, he's already proven that, hey, uh, I'm taking things to a new gear. Then obviously had the setback against Khabib. But now if he can go out there, start a new run with Hooker, we're looking at just more legendary stuff from the great Dustin Poirier. So for that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in Vegas Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. They can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Use that promo code DAN25 for 25% off my plays. Use Shaq's code SHAQ50 for 50% off his or use the promo code 2020 for 20% off the VIPs. You can follow Shaq at MMAgenius05 or ShaqBFP on Instagram. You can follow me at Best Fight Picks on Twitter, Best Fight Picks official on Instagram or follow the pod at half the battle pod on IG or half the battle HQ on Twitter. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the places where we are available. We will be back in 2 weeks cuz you know uh, Fight Island is about to come up uh, after this It's going to be a fun little stretch there. So thank you very much everyone for the support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.